listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 6 verses 1 uh, through to chapter 7 verse uh, verse 2. 1 Samuel 6 verse 1 to chapter 7 verse 2. Let's hear God's word. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what shall, uh, with what we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you'll be healed And it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumours and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumours and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts after he had dealt severely with them? Did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart. But take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it, uh, put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way. And watch, if it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then let he who has done us this great harm, uh, sorry, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so, and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut them up, uh, shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Bethshemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Bethshemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. 
And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord, and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son, Eliezer, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Amen. This is God's word. <coughs> uh, well, here at Trinity, if you not been with us, uh, then you, it might be helpful to know that we're continuing with a series of sermons uh, focusing on the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 and 2 Samuel are books in the Old Testament that uh, document a particular part of the history of God's people. Uh, it has always been God's plan, we, we see in the Bible, to gather for himself a community of people who worship him from all nations, people from all over the world. And in the Old Testament, we read about how that plan began in the first place and developed with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel at the beginning of 1 and 2 Samuel was in a terrible state. God's people had been led away from God by leaders who failed to lead as God had instructed them. And they were also oppressed and constantly attacked by a hostile neighboring people named the Philistines. The beginning of 1 Samuel documents dark days for God's people. In the midst of the darkness, though, there was hope. By the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 6, God had removed Israel's former leaders. He was raising up a new leader in a young man named Samuel, and he had even overcome the Philistines himself without any help from his people. There was hope. But before things get better, before Samuel leads God's people into better days, things get worse. In the previous chapter, 1 Samuel 5, God's people had suffered a humiliating defeat at the hands of the Philistine army, which had also exposed false beliefs God's people held when it comes to who God is and how he helps his people. They'd been humiliated in defeat, they'd been humbled in their faith, and not only that, but also the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines and taken back into Philistine territory. Now, It is hard to overstate the significance of the Ark of the Covenant for God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant uh, was a relatively small box, a little bit over a metre in length, a little bit over half a metre in width and depth. 
But it's significant was found in the fact that God had associated himself with the Ark of the Covenant in a particular way. On the top of the Ark were two heavenly creatures named cherubim. They were symbolic of God's heavenly throne. Inside the Ark were kept the tablets of stone on which God had written the Ten Commandments, representing what God had revealed to his people when it comes to who he is and how we're to live in response. And once a year, an animal would be sacrificed and blood would be sprinkled on the top of the ark, pointing to the fact that God desires and intends to show his people mercy and forgive their sins through the life of another being offered in their place, rather than demanding their own lives as payment for their sins. All of which is to say, the covenant was, the ark of the covenant was hugely significant. God had associated himself in a particular way with the Ark of the Covenant. So much so, in fact, that the Ark of the Covenant represented God's very presence. It represented God himself. Which is why God had given careful instructions to his people in the Old Testament regarding how the Ark was to be built, where it was to be kept, and how it was to be transported, which you can read about in places like Numbers 4. And this Ark of the Covenant, which was so closely associated with God himself, is such a focal point in our passage today in 1 Samuel that it begs the question, what does it teach us about God? As the Ark of the Covenant is quickly passed around the different towns of the Philistine people, as it's transported back to Israel, what are we supposed to take note of? In a nutshell... It presses home for us one fundamental lesson, and it's this. God is holy. God is holy. What does that mean? Uh, What does it mean that God is holy? Well, we're given something of an introduction to God's holiness in today's passage in 1 Samuel 6. I want us to see three things this afternoon. God's holiness recognised in Philistine. God's holiness ignored in Israel. And God's holiness and our hope. Firstly then, God's holiness is recognised in Philistine. It might not be immediately obvious that 1 Samuel chapter 6 is all about God's holiness. But when you take a step back, it's clear that the question that's raised in verse 20 is in fact the theme of this part of 1 Samuel. We read in verse 20, Then the man of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And although that's the only place in our passage where the word holy appears, the idea of God's holiness runs right through the chapter. We see it in the panic that the Philistines had been thrown into simply by the presence of the Ark of the Covenant in their land. As well as by the fact that when they conclude they need to send the ark back to Israel, they decide in verse 3 that they need to send it back along with a guilt offering. Now, we need to understand a little bit of the context here. In the previous chapter, the Philistines had captured the ark of the covenant in in their battle against the Israelites. And after they'd captured it, they placed it in their temple as a celebration of their victory And as a sign of their belief, which they thought had been validated, that their God, Dagon, was superior to Israel's God, the Lord. 
And so the Ark of the Lord was placed next to the Philistine figure of Dagon in a position of service, as though God serves Dagon. But that didn't go well for the Philistines. The following morning after that happened, when they go to the temple, the figure of their god, Dagon, was on the floor before the Ark of the Covenant, bowing down before the Lord. The morning after that, the Philistines go up to the temple again, and this time Dagon was not only on the floor before the Ark of the Covenant, but his head and his hands had been broken off. It was a clear message of the reality that Israel's God, the Lord, has no rivals. He's in a class of his own. He is the one true God. And not only had the Philistines' God, Dagon, been crushed, but from that time on, the Philistine people had been hit with a severe plague. We're told about it at the end of chapter 5, where we're also explicitly told that the plague came from the hand of God himself. Dagon was broken, the Philistine people were broken. And so they arrive at the conclusion they need to return the Ark of the Covenant to Israel, to its rightful home. So in verse 2, the Philistine people assemble their religious priests and spiritual guides, who advise in verse 3 that the Ark of the Covenant should be sent back to Israel along with a guilt offering. And the fact that the Philistines recognise the need to send a guilt offering back to Israel along with the Ark is significant Because a guilt offering was the sacrifice that would be made to God when a person had treated something sacred, something holy, with disregard or contempt. In the book of Leviticus, where the various kinds of sacrifices and offerings were outlined, we read this in Leviticus 5, verse 14 and 15. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally, In any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. Excuse me. (coughs) All of which is to say that in sending a guilt offering back to Israel along with the ark, the Philistines recognise that the ark they had captured is in some way holy. It is one of the holy things that the Philistines had sinned against. And in recognising the holiness of the ark, the Philistines recognise something of the holiness of God. Now, That in itself doesn't help us understand what it means to say that God is holy. But we do see some indication of what it means that God is holy in the way that the Philistines treat the ark, this thing that is regarded as holy. After Dagon's demise in his own temple, and after a plague broke out against the Philistine people, they recognised that there was something different about the ark of the covenant. They didn't know what it was exactly, but they knew that it belonged in a different category to the things that they were familiar with. It was something that was set apart. It was distinct. There was something alien about it. 
We see this in the way that the ark was transported around the various towns of Philistine at the end of chapter 5. Each community it goes to has no idea what to do with it. We see it in how even when they arrive at the conclusion that it needs to go back to Israel in chapter 6 verse 2, they then don't know how they ought to send it back. What should we do with the ark of the Lord, they ask their religious leaders. They recognised there was something different about the ark. It was no ordinary box. It was, in a sense, holy. To say that God is holy is to say the same about him. There is something different about him. He is in a different category to the things that we're familiar with. He's set apart. He's distinct from us and from all the things around us. For the seven months that the Ark of the Covenant was in the land of the Philistines, God was revealing exactly this to the Philistine people, that he is holy. And in sending the Ark back to Israel, what the Philistines also recognise is that they are not worthy of being in the presence of this holy God. In fact, they recognise that They cannot remain in his presence and at the same time remain alive. The plague that had afflicted them had taught them that and they recognised that unless something changed, then the Lord's presence among them would be the end of them. Why was that? Why were the Philistines unable to be in the presence of this holy God? It's because God's holiness is his moral goodness. To say God is holy is to say God is absolutely good. He is pure goodness in a moral sense. That means that he only does what is right and good and whatever is not right and good cannot stand in his presence. This is why he had given strict instructions to his people in how they were to construct and keep and transport the ark. Because God had so closely associated his presence with the ark that to be in the presence of the ark in any way that was not authorised by the holy God would have serious consequences for unholy people. The reason that the Philistine people were unable to stand in the presence of this holy God was because they were unholy. God is absolute moral goodness. In in that way, he is set apart from us. We are lacking in moral goodness. We've lived immoral lives in so many ways. Which is to say that by nature, we are unholy And therefore, we cannot stand in the presence of the holy God. God's holiness was recognised in Philistine. They couldn't put their finger on exactly what it was, but they knew there was something different about the Lord. There was something different about the ark. It gives us opportunity today to face up to the question, do you and I recognise God's holiness? If you were to finish the sentence, God is, dot, 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 would holy 
be at the forefront of your mind. He is pure. He is goodness itself. He is opposed to everything that is evil. He's in a class of his own, separated from us and from all that is around us. Is that who we recognise God to be? Or have we, perhaps even subconsciously, sought to bring him down to our level? Have we, in the way that we live, in the way that we speak about God, in the way that we seek to worship him, treated God as though there is nothing sacred about him? Friends, God is not the big guy upstairs. He is not our mate. He is not there merely to be utilised whenever we need something. He is the holy God. His holiness was recognised in Philistine. Is it recognised by us? And that question becomes all the more prominent towards the end of the chapter because what we see secondly is God's holiness ignored in Israel. Ignored by his own people. The shock strikes us in verse 19, but prior to that we read of how the ark was sent back to Israel. And if you're wondering what on earth was going on with the cows and the cart and the golden tumours and golden mice, then briefly, here's what happens. The five golden tumours and the five golden mice were sent, we're told in verse 4, as the guilt offering. Uh, They represented, in, in the minds of the Philistines at least, the plague that had afflicted the Philistine people since they'd captured the ark. A plague that had taken the form of some kind of skin infection. It's referred to in our passage as tumours. And seemingly it also uh, involved an infestation of mice. There were five golden figures of each tumours uh, and five golden figures of mice because there were five cities making up the territory in the land of the Philistines. But there was still a hint of doubt in the Philistines' minds that this plague they were enduring really was a result of them capturing the ark. Perhaps they wondered in verse 9... It could just be a coincidence. So they came up with a plan to find out whether it really was a result of the ark that they were being afflicted. The plan was that they would load the ark onto a cart. They would take two cows to pull the cart. Uh, These two cows were cows that had recently given birth. And so the maternal instinct of the cows would not have been to head in any direction other than back towards their calves. So the Philistines thought, if the cows don't head back to their calves, but instead head back towards Israel, then they would know that the cause of the plague really was the presence of the ark among them. The cows are readied in verse 10, and the ark placed on a cart along with the guilt offering in verse 11. And in verse 12, we read that the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh, which was a town in Israel. Uh, It's all very curious, and it, it all might seem, at least in some ways I hope it might seem to you, far removed from our experience But it does highlight even further how God is set apart from us. He's unlike us. He can do as he pleases. 
If he wants to use two cows to reveal his holiness, he can. But that being the case, what's supposed to grab our attention isn't the way in which the ark arrives back in Israelite territory, but what happens when it does arrive? It arrives at the Israelite border, and we're told in verse 13 that the people of Beth Shemesh, Israelite people, rejoiced to see the ark. So far, so good. But then in verse 14, we're told that the people break up the cart to build an altar and sacrifice the two cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's a little bit problematic because God had stipulated that all burnt offerings were to be male. You can read about that in Leviticus 1. But the people of Beth Shemesh offer these female cows as a burnt offering. They then take down the Ark of the Lord in verse 15. They set it on a large stone that was in the field. And according to verse 19, they also look into it. It might seem a little bit insignificant to us, but in Numbers 4, God had given clear instructions to his people that whenever the Ark is transported, it should be covered. That it should never itself be touched, but only carried with poles. Nor should it be looked upon. The instructions were clear and the warnings were clear too. Anyone who touched the ark or looked upon it even for a moment in Numbers 4 would die. The people of Beth Shemesh who were there that day, they couldn't plead ignorance because we're told back in verse 15 that they were Levites. That is, they were a tribe of Levi. They were of the tribe of Levi, uh, the tribe which had been chosen by God to serve him at the temple They ought to have known better than most how the ark was to be treated. God's instruction was ignored. And so we're told in verse 19 that the Lord struck 70 men who were there that day who had mistreated the ark and they died. What are we to make of that? Well, we need to recognise the error that God's people made that day in Beth Shemesh. The error, which turned out for them to be fatal, was that they presumed to worship God in ways that he hadn't permitted, sacrificing animals that had not been permitted to be sacrificed to him. And they assumed that they could stand before him without following his instructions. They thought that they could be in the presence of the holy gods without taking into account their lack of holiness. Just think about that. The fundamental error of God's people in this passage was that they presumed to worship God in ways he hadn't permitted. And they assumed they could stand before him without following his instructions. They ignored God's holiness and they paid the price. Which begs the question that the people of Beth Shemesh ask in verse 20, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? If this is who God is, if he is holy, and if we are by nature unholy, then how can anyone stand before him? Well, thirdly, finally, and briefly, as we close, I want us to see God's holiness and our hope. 
If this is who God is, then what hope do we have? The people of Beth Shemesh, they felt as though there was no hope for them. They thought it was impossible for them to stand before the Lord because they ask a second question in verse 20. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? And so they send the Ark of the Covenant away. They don't want it in their midst. In one sense, this is the real tragedy of the passage. The Ark is sent away by the Philistines, but then it's sent away by God's people too. The people of Bethshemesh send it out of their region to the region of Kiriath-Jerim. In chapter 7, verse 2, we're told that it stayed there for 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. It is very much the case in this passage that God's own people do not receive him. They think there is no hope for them. The Israelites recognize the issue. God is holy and they are not. Yet they fail to recognize God's response to the issue. The way God responds to his people's unholiness is not by departing from them, but by dwelling in their midst, by being near them and by virtue of being near them, Making them holy. Making them fit to stand in his presence. That's what the ark represented. God came to dwell with his people. And it's what the entire sacrificial system and laws regarding how to approach the ark communicated. God has made a way for you to be in his presence Today, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant and we don't have the sacrificial laws to abide by because the Ark and the sacrificial laws were an introduction to what God would do when he came to dwell with us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ offered up his life on the cross, God revealed more clearly than anywhere else his desire for his people to be in his presence to know him and to enjoy him. Because when Jesus Christ offered up his life on the cross, he was paying the price that our sin, our unholiness, deserves. In Jesus Christ, God has made a way for us to stand before this holy God. Because all who trust in him are made holy. We're made holy in an official sense when we are brought to trust him. And we are made progressively holy in this life as we go on trusting him. The great sadness of 1 Samuel chapter 6 is that the people of Israel failed to see this. It was quite literally right before their eyes. The Ark of the Covenant communicated to them that God so desired to live with his people that he had made a way for his people to be made holy by following his instructions to treat this holy God with the reverence he deserves. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, because it was sprinkled with the blood of a sacrifice once a year for the forgiveness of sins, it was called the mercy seat. 
The ark preached mercy to God's people who are unholy by nature. And it revealed that the way to be made holy was not by sending God away, not by sending the ark away, but by welcoming him and trusting in his mercy. Friends, when, when we're convicted of our unholiness before this holy God, the right way to respond is not by sending him away, but by humbling ourselves before him. The right way to respond to God's holiness is to recognise that he is also a God who makes us holy. And he makes us holy, not from a distance, but by coming to dwell with us. All of which should leave us praising God and asking ourselves whether we have a right regard for holiness, both God's and our own. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize something of your holiness today. Lord, we also recognize that our lack of capacity to comprehend and take in the full measure of your holiness, your pure goodness. Lord, that we do recognize that you are a holy God and we are an unholy people. And we thank you that in the Lord Jesus, you have made a way for us to be made holy and to be in your presence. Lord, we ask that this would be something that is true for each one of us and that it would lead us to live holy lives in praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.